And wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. That opening always makes me chuckle. And uh, if you remember that, if you're watching live or if you're listening to us on podcast version, you know exactly that opening with Josie at the championship parade. Man, do we feel a far way away from that time now. Uh, Welcome to (laughs) today's uh, Toronto Till I Die uh, podcast. Uh, You're with uh, Mike Newell and Mike Singh. Mike Squared back again with you this week, Jeff. Uh, is away he's a busy man he's got movies to cut so uh obviously he's uh busy but we hope to have him back soon and wish him luck in the editing booth uh mike how you doing how was your weekend man um i I don't know if we want to spend a ton of time talking about what happened on the weekend but uh it was it was a rough it was a rough saturday night for a lot (laughs) of us watching it was it was very rough, uh, Mike. Yeah, let's not let's just try not to dive into that too much. And that's so funny because, you know, usually I just kind of when the opener's going, I'm kind of, you know, zoned out a little bit, getting prepped for the show and everything like that. But today I actually had the exact same thought that you did when you brought that up. I'm like, man, what a time that was <laughs> in yeah. 2017. Um, mm. Good times back then and. We're far removed from that. And of course, the icing on the cake for this year was Toronto FC officially being eliminated from playoff contention over the weekend in depressing, dramatic, not dramatic, embarrassing, emphatic, embarrassing whatever kind of style that you uh, you want to attribute to whatever that performance was on Saturday night. But in a way, rip the bandit off. It's, it's over. We can look forward to... Uh, another eventful off season and a year in which Toronto FC's expectations, I believe will be raised uh, in a really big way heading into 2023. Yeah. Well, I was feeling as bad as they were playing on Saturday this past weekend. Um, just started recovering a little <laughs> bit here, but uh, Glad to yeah. see you back, man. Yeah. Glad to see you alive. You're, you're yeah. We're back. Wasn't the Rona. Didn't Sound get good. the Rona. No, nah, man. Yeah, I have a stomach bug. It was just, bugging me for like a day and a half um so anyway but yeah it's uh it, it's a rough one for toronto fc fans right now uh you know season is essentially over uh though there are still games left to be played um really there's uh, a lot of eyes looking to 2023 and i think that's that's sort of where a lot of fans are are, are looking and and i put out a tweet uh th- this past weekend and I, and I will not attribute this as, as an original idea of mine. There's other people that have been talking about this for a while. And this idea around should Bob Bradley keep both sporting director and head coach roles going into the 2023 season? And I right said, hey, the good stuff. Well, right the good stuff. I'm, I'm in go. it because I got to defend myself because people jumped jumped on and were like, ah, oh, you're flip-flopping. You're changing your tune again. I'm like, no, no, look, first of all, I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed to look at things, step back and, and, and see things and maybe see something a little bit different than I did a few months ago. I guess my, my thinking behind this, um, and especially watching this game, but some other games as well, is that there seems to be a disconnect in terms of 
the way that the team executes a game plan. There's a there seems to be a game plan at the beginning, and then that execution can fall apart very quickly um, on this team. You know, when they're look, look, when they're good, they're good. Let's give them credit. Like when they're good, when they're on it, they can beat any team in this league with the talent that they have on the pitch, right? Like at least the starting eleven. Let's let's get yeah. that way. We're not going to get into the bench depth yet. Um, but I, I just find that there seems to, even with the now the talent in the group that has been brought into the, the summer transfer window, at times there is a disconnect between sort of the tactics and what Bob wants to see and what actually ends up happening on the field. And I don't know if that's a communication issue. I mean, I don't know if that's, people not understanding their roles because I mean, if this is a, this has been going on for a whole season, people don't understand their roles yet. I know there's some new players in the team that have only come in since the summer, but it's not like they're smart footballers. They, they know how to play the game and they understand instruction and how to take instruction. That's where I see that disconnect. And that's where I'm, I'm asking the question of, is it time to have the discussion about him maybe dropping one of the two roles and really focusing on one or the other? Um, and, and that's where I'm coming from. And I get, and I get people sort of, I get a lot of the arguments out there that saying, like, Hey, look, basically his job in 2022 was to tear apart the 2021 team. Right. And make room for this new rebuild, which is true. That's a hundred percent true. Um, and, and he definitely had those cards stacked against him in that regard, but you still do need to evaluate what you're seeing on the pitch now, right? Like that still needs to be a function of, of what we do as, as fans, right. Is to, uh, to look at that and, and see whether or not this is making sense. And, and right now it's not, I mean, I know you have a particular point of view on this, but that's where I'm coming from in, in that regard. So uh, love to hear what you think, Micah, on, on sort of that because i know this has come up a few times yeah no it's a it's a valid point um i've, I've said it on other podcasts so I'll, I'll say it here i do believe that the plan for toronto fc is to have bob bradley eventually move into a purely sporting director role i know that's I believe that's going to be in the cards um, sometime during his, his tenure here with Toronto FC. In terms of... So just to be clear, what you're calling for is a step back from the head coaching aspect of things. It's not necessarily I, the, the sporting director aspect. I actually think coaching. it's the other way around. I think it is actually step away from the sporting director role and focus strictly on the head coaching. Um, that's how I, that's how I see it. Um, however, I, I can see with Bob getting a little bit older and, and, and maybe that idea of actually really having your fingerprints on a team, considering also his experience in, at LA where, you know, he was able to build a team. And then as John Thornton got a little bit more experience in the role, essentially started to build his own team and ask Bob to coach it. Right. So I could see either I could see either one, but my my original tweet and the thought was to actually stay more on the head coaching side of things. Okay, um, 
I look like when you're a head coach in Major League Soccer, especially when you're Bob Bradley and you're as experienced as you are in this league, you're whether you have the official title of sporting director or not, as a head coach, you're always going to have some sort of role in that regard, especially again when you're Bob Bradley status. So whether or not he explicitly has the sporting director tag or whether he doesn't, I'm not sure makes that much of a difference. To me, it's just sort of semantics in in that regard. And you can make the argument of, is it better to bring in a sporting director to add a third voice in the room? Is it not? Um, I mean, it didn't work out with Toronto FC the last time they brought in a, a general manager course that's Ali Curtis and we know that Curtis and Vanny definitely did not see eye to eye which caused a rift and could potentially be the biggest reason why Greg Vanny is not with Toronto FC anymore so there is an extra added dilemma when you, if you want to go down that route to me I also think that it is like I, I, I see where you're, what you're saying, and I think that Bob Bradley has not gotten the best out of his team this year. But I also think we, our expectations are a little bit too high at this point. Um, we still I- haven't seen the best starting eleven of Toronto FC on the pitch altogether during this entire stretch. Right, we we still haven't seen what exactly that looks like. So there has been player availability issues, and when you're going through a rebuild and you've already maxed out the salary cap and as much as you can, you've exhausted every single way to bring in a Richie Larea to acquire the Mark Anthony case for the future. Your depth is is going to be your weak point naturally, and I think that's the the issue here with Toronto FC is. They get exposed when they have to rotate their squad. And the first year of the rebuild, I think that's that's probably um, as expected. So I'm not sure there's many moves he's gotten out of a sporting it gone wrong as a sporting director. I think the one that we can say in hindsight is 2020 because it looked like a brilliant move at first is Jesus Jimenez. I think that's the one move that we can raise our hand and say. Bob Bradley got this wrong. Other than that, I'm not sure there's many glaring moves out there that's we can say Bob Bradley got it wrong. Um, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here for a sec. I please, don't necessarily please. disagree with you, but I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate here on two points. One, the idea of depth. Yes, of course, we know depth is an issue on this team, but depth is an issue on quite a few MLS teams, right? Like they like. I guess my my issue here or with that is like, okay, yes, depth is an issue, but it's what can you get out of a squad that may not be the most talented squad? And you can look around the league and you can see teams that are finding ways to get really great minutes out of teams that arguably are not as talented as Toronto FC starting 11, right? And yes, mm-hmm. you're right. They haven't, they haven't had their full starting 11 on the pitch at the same time. I think at any time for, for a season, single minute for a single minute. Richie, right? right? They had the right. 45 minutes against Charlotte, but that yeah. was without Richie Larea. Exactly. So granted, fair enough. 
but there are teams that do not have as much. First of all, they don't have the DP talent that we have granted one and two, even some of the quote unquote auxiliary pieces, your Richie's, your Crescitos, your Mark Anthony K's, your Jonathan Osorio's, your Michael Bradley's, your Chris Mavinga's arguably don't have as talented individually as Toronto FC do. Yet they find ways to com- not just not just compete, but that performance in Orlando was just, I mean, they were nowhere close, right? And and that's what and I think that's what frustrates a lot of fans is they it's not it's it's talent and depth to a certain perspective but it's also this ability to be able to grind out games that are the fashion that they lost the fashion it's it's a fashion that they lost yes but it's also the idea that sometimes either you're winning pretty and you're scoring great and singing bernadeschi goals and they're fantastic and crescito can hit you know, off the cross, full volleys in the top corner. That's great. But you also got to find ways in this league to win nasty and not be pretty. And yeah, take a goal off the butt or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that's MLS sometimes. And I don't feel that. And a lot of fans don't feel like Toronto FC has that ability. And that's where you look at Toronto and you look at a team like, dare I say a Montreal, you know, dare I say a Red Bull and say, okay, they have a different philosophy on the way that they, when we talked about this a bit last week, so I don't want to delve in it too far, but you know, they have a different philosophy on the way that they build their teams. They may not have as much individual talent on the pitch um, at one time, but they find ways to grind out dirty results and it gets them to the playoffs. Right. And, and we don't seem to be able to do that. And I think that's where some of that frustration comes from. Where are your expectations this year then? Was it to be a playoff team this year? I think a lot of people thought there would be a good opportunity to make the playoffs once Insigne got here. That's what I heard a lot of, right? Like, remember, we did our first Tunnel Club show just before the start of the regular season, and everybody's like, well, this could be a playoff team. This could be this is a good team that finishes seventh or sixth in the Eastern Conference. And I, I personally was like, no, this team is not making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But... I think there was that idea that, okay, the Cavalry is going to come in in July and then we should see this team really take off. Whether that is a realistic point of view, we can debate that. But that probably was the expectation. That Uh hasn't happened and that's why you can see some people saying like, this is a wasted season. I don't necessarily agree that it's a wasted season because I do think you got young players important minutes. So you found out who's going to be a part of your future and who's not going to be a part of your future. Mm-hmm. And I think you also found out who is really going to be here for this team in the long term, outside of the young players, right? For sure. So I don't think it's a completely wasted season, but fans want results, right? The, the old cliche, this is a results business. Well, yeah, it is in a certain sense. And results in this league are making the playoffs. Uh, and I think that's where, I think that's where some of that discourse is coming from, and, and missing it two years in a row, when not missing two years in a row since the early 2010s, chaffs people the wrong way, um, and and I don't think that's an unreasonable or a completely unreasonable place to be. Yeah, I, I think expectations. Obviously, when you bring in Insignes, Bernardeskis, Richies, 
especially the Richie move. I think that kind of put it a little bit over the top. Um, they were raised, uh, whether that's fair or unfair. Um, the I know club Toronto... raised them, right? You bring those guys in, not with the idea of, hey, we're just going to get ready for 2023, right? The idea was, we're uh... going to run for the playoffs here. No, disagree. Okay, fair Disagree. Enough. Because every, every one of those moves has potential beyond this year. Every one of those players is signed to a contract with Toronto FC longer than the next three, four years, aside from Richie, who, again, I still believe there is a way that TFC are going to be keeping Richie. Well, for sure, I, I do, I, there is a longer-term play here. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I'm just saying that when those players, you're making some of those moves, yes, with 23 in mind, but also with the fact of, hey, we get these guys in here, we're making a run, right? Like it, it's, it's the hope is that they do that. Yeah, the hope is that they do that. But I know within that MLSC and Toronto FC, 2023 was always circled on their their calendar per se. Like it was, it was always with an eye towards 2023, 2022. There was a hope for sure when you bring in those guys that maybe the team clicks. But it's always going to be. If they if they did do it, it was always going to be a, you're doing it against the odds with the hole that they dug themselves in the first three quarters of the season, but right? I, I, and then but, you had to get lucky down mm-hmm. the stretch by keeping your guys healthy. And when Jonathan Osorio goes down and you don't have midfield depth, when Mark Anthony K comes over with an injury from Colorado and reagitates it, and he misses what eight games the task becomes a little bit taller when Lorenzo Insigne deals with the personal issues that he's dealing with, which we don't have to get into, but you know, it's, it's a lot for someone to go through that. It becomes even tougher to do that. Not to mention you're rebuilding a team on the fly. So I, I'm not sure I, I can say that it was playoffs or bust for this team. And here we are sitting. It's not playoffs. Um, it's a disappointing. Yeah. Because I think there was enough talent, to go on the run if they got the bounces that they needed to get um in terms of the way that they lost yeah i'm with you there i don't think that's i think that's been Bob's biggest challenge here is down the stretch when things haven't gone tfc's way to keep the group going in in a really really good really strong way when and i think it all started with that miami game when Obviously, you know, we can look at Bono, but I think overall the team just burnt out yeah, at that just, point, right? And I think from that point on, when you have that and then you have the LA Galaxy game, when, of course, you, you're inches away from winning that game, and then Ricky Pooge hits a, a absolute screamer to steal points from you again, and he followed that up with the performance against Montreal where you blow a two-goal lead, things start to add up, add up, add up. And it's so tough to keep the team going in such a good way there, which, you know, to your point, maybe that falls on Bob Bradley. Maybe Bob Bradley should have done a better job at keeping this team going despite all of those, you know, challenges, realities, whatever you want to call it that they faced. But again, when you're going through a rebuilding year and we already knew expectations were not very high through the first three quarters of the season, I have a hard time pointing the finger when when it doesn't go the 
the way that you want at this point. I think it's a little bit too early, but I, I do see where you're coming from at least. Right. And, and it leads into this point that I have here around how patient should we ask TFC fans to be? Because throughout the season, you and I and other people have been preaching patience, right? Be yeah. patient with this team. Be patient with these young players. But like we also got excited to like your well, point we, too, well, exactly. right? Because well, remember, the, like we just talked about, we like the opening of the show is the highest moment this club has ever had, arguably, right? And there's no argument. Well, no, no, <laughs> there's there is no, no argument. argument. It, is, it is the highest moment. But like, the idea from that, the kernel from that season was this team will compete for trophies, for playoffs, for everything, every season going forward, right? That was the idea. We know, obviously, that it's MLS. You know, <laughs> things happen, right? Roster rules happen. It can break teams up. We get that. But that was the idea. And a lot of people bought into that, right? A lot of people bought into that idea that this team will be a quote-unquote big club within MLS and will be competing every season. And I think the frustration and the sort of questions come in is like, okay, what are we doing to get ourselves there? And I think both of you, you and I see the, the blueprint, the, the, at least the ground floor of where the plan is going and where it can go. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I, I don't know if it's articulated enough to say like, look, this, the club never really came out and said for like a hundred percent, it's a rebuild. Right. And I get why you don't say they did. that. They did. Um, <laughs> very but subtly. Like, but, but that's they what did. I mean, right. It can't be subtle, but it can't be subtle. Right. Like, that's the disconnect right now for sure. Yeah. There's and, definitely and a disconnect I, there. Right. And, and, and I think it comes down to, you know, look, we'll go back. I'll use another sports example in Toronto. I'll use the Leafs, right? Just before getting Austin Matthews, the club said, we are rebuilding, mm -hmm. right? That was the rebuild word. No one wanted to say it. People thought people wouldn't buy tickets if you the say Shanna plan. Yeah, the Shanna plan, whatever you want to call it, right? And guess what? People still bought tickets. People still showed up. People got excited when all of a sudden those ping pong balls are dropping in a in a bowl and you get the number one pick. Now that doesn't exist in MLS. I get that. Well, it does, but nobody is it really of consequence. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> it depends. Depends on your year. But if you tell TFC fans and are honest and say, we are rebuilding, I am going to tear this team down to the studs and we are going to rebuild from there. Although, yes, so care the actions show that. The idea in most people's mind is we're still trying to compete here. We're Toronto FC. So I think that's where the disconnect comes in. Um, and I think that's where fans kind of need to, not need to, but I think that's where fans just need that sort of, we are rebuilding. This is coming from the ground up. We are going to maybe struggle for a year or two to get, okay. but the, the idea is to get back here. That's so they didn't. The plan. They might not have explicitly said that from the beginning. There was comments made about a rebuild, retool, whatever. But we, as fans, take a step back. 23 players left the club this offseason. 23 out of 30. But you remember what the comments were? We're like, what the hell is happening? That was the, those were the comments, right? right? It's like, why are we getting rid of everybody? Why are we, like, they understood certain players need to go, fine. But, like, when we started getting down to, like, Marky wanted to go, fair enough. RO things like that. People were just like, what, what, what are we doing here? And, and yes. Okay. You can kind of say, well, well, you know, we're, we're going to change things up. 
right? Like we're going to we're going to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Changes and rebuilding from the studs up are two very different things. Yeah, I think TFC wanted to accomplish it quicker. Um, like they didn't want to complete rule out this season and take away the buzz from Lorenzo Insigne, right? Because you're right. People are going to be talking about, oh, Lorenzo Insigne comes. Maybe he's the guy who's going to put TFC onto this miraculous run. If TFC come out and straight up say it's a rebuild, you take away some of that buzz, some of that hype. So maybe there is some of that commercial aspect thinking to it. Why not explicitly uh, saying rebuild right from the start? I don't I don't know about that. I think there was, still would have been hype even if you had said it was a rebuilding year. But the, the plan essentially is to start building around Lorenzo. If you say that's the plan and the ideas that we're doing that, okay. I think people buy that. I think people can accept that. It would be tough. You're still going to have right. critics. But I think okay, people but are going to be okay. Now that, we're, now that we're in September and we can see that it's a rebuild – and I don't think anyone's arguing whether or not TFC rebuilt this year or not. Now that we can see that, whether the club came out and said that or not, do you still feel TFC fell short of expectations this year? Well, I have to go with my original word, which was no, because I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs from the beginning. But I will say that if you give people hope, you got, you know, there's going to yeah. be that moment of disappointment, and and the way that they went out too. And it's the adds, way exactly. It it's the way they go out, right? It's it's For that. Sure. It's the go out with a whimper, not a bang, and that is the tough thing I think for a lot of people to accept. Uh, and and I I get that. Again, the word is frustration. I think right it's, now it's I think frustrating. It, it is. It is because there I is think, there was the potential, right? There was. It wasn't just the potential. Like it was a realistic. Like you, like up until a couple of weeks ago, there was like, yeah, okay, if you do what you need to do at home, you it was have in a their really control. Good shot, right? Like right now, Atlanta right now is sh- surged back up, right? It, that that opportunity was there. And I think that's, that's where some people are like, look, we had a golden opportunity to sneak in the back door and we just didn't, we weren't able to do it. And it's the way that we weren't able to do it, which I think is left a little bit of a bitter taste. I think at the end of the season, people will reflect differently. They will be like, okay, that was what it was in 2023 is brighter days, but when you're in it right now, when you're in it right now, yes, you're going to have that. that. And it is reactional. I 100% it is reactional in terms of the actual, where we are at the moment. But I think within the TFC dressing room, Mike, I think there's a lot of people that share that sentiment too. Mm. Like right now people are feeling it and it's, it's near the end of the season. The hope is now deflated like a balloon. And there are people within that dressing room that know they already have one foot out the door. So this next stretch, these last two games are, it's going to be a challenge for Bob Bradley and the group to keep that, figure out who exactly here wants to stay engaged, who wants to go on with this team through the thick and the thin and figure out which guys are not going to be part of this mix moving forward. For sure. And I know we've got a special guest coming in soon. So, um, but I just wanted to ask you this, because this was a question uh, we got. It's not necessarily in the three burning questions this week, but it was in regards to the rest of the season and what do you do with the roster? Do you shut down a Mark Anthony K or well, maybe not because they, they have national team aspirations. So they want to play as many games 
potentially possible, but do you shut down some players and, you know, maybe whatever TFC two's playoff run looks like, you know, do you give some of those players some minutes at the end of the season and see what they can do and sort of a mini audition for the, for training camp in 2023? Yeah, aside from the players that are going to the World Cup, I think you have to look at some sort of combination of that. Um, I'm not sure it's worth putting a, a Mimo Crescito out there for, for 90 minutes each match, even a Lorenzo. I'm not sure it's necessarily worth putting those guys out there for 90 minutes uh, the rest of the way. So at this point, I don't think it's a bad thing if TFC lose the last two games of their season. I think it sets them up better for the allocation order next year, and we saw the way that Cincinnati used that. And this is a team that likes to exploit every single possible resource of the salary. Let's not lose every game because I don't want to be left with a wooden spoon in the Eastern Conference. Oh, no, no. I don't think you can go wooden spoon. But second last in the East, I'll I'll take that. Because obviously it gives you a higher draft pick, which you can use as commodity and a trade or if you you see a player that you like. And then also the allocation order. You can exploit it. So I'm on the losing bandwagon for the rest of the season. There's Tank. no point winning anymore. On the tanking bandwagon. Wow. That's a word we have not heard in the city in quite some time is tank. Yeah, two-game tank. Um, two all tank. aboard. <laughs> all aboard. Um, but we do have uh, our very special guest awesome. in the wings. Um, we'll, uh, we'll bring him on. And, of course, as you guys all know, you guys all know the guy. It's uh, our guy, Joshua Cloak. Yeah. How are you doing? Very special. I don't know. Oh, very special. You wrote this book, buddy. Uh, come on, you weirds. If you haven't read this book, if you're a TFC fan and haven't read this book, what are you doing? I took this to the beach a couple years ago and read this. It's fantastic. So uh, glad to have you on the show, Joe. Well, what, which beach were you at? I was in Cuba. Okay. So I'm glad to know my book uh, deserves a passport. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you very much for the support. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Thank you for joining the show. Um, obviously, we're talking a little TFC here. Um, we're also going to jump into a little national team talk as you have a new book uh, upcoming, The Voyagers, the Canadian men's soccer team's quest to reach the World Cups. So we're releasing pretty soon, next couple of weeks. Um, but I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on this debate Mike and I are having on TFC and specifically around expectations around this team in 2022. I think there is a general agreement that expectations were probably should have been, at least in the fan base, lower. But we're hearing a lot of sort of consternation around not making the playoffs, maybe finishing second last in the East. You know, the way that this playoff run has capitulated. Now, what were your sort of thoughts from your point of view in terms of TFC's realistic expectations and just the way that the playoff run is kind of fizzled out here? Well, I mean, if you'd asked me ahead of the season, this season, I expected them to, to be in a playoff position. I thought for a few reasons, you know, I thought the additions that they made, the summer additions, that that quality is just astounding, right? And, and those players alone, as they did, would be able to win TFC, you know, three or four games. And that's probably enough you know, for them to get into the playoff, um, you know, the playoff picture. I don't think anybody kind of saw, you know, the team's goalkeeping falling off in the way it did. And I think once we saw that happening, I think expectations probably should have shifted a little bit. I know expectations internally was were that this team would, 
you know, be in the playoffs and then anything can happen. And look, there was a point when in, in, in August where it looked like, yeah, if they can get in the way that they were playing in August, it's like which team would have wanted to play them, right? Um, I don't think it's fair to a fan base to say, well, you know, you, you shouldn't have expected to get in the playoffs when you would have, you know, by far the most expensive roster in MLS, right? You don't buy these players that are in their prime, right? These are like Bernadeschi is, is coming from Juventus as a 28 year old and is in his prime. Lorenzo Insigne is probably the most talented player in the league. You don't buy those players and not think, and then, you know, try and couch it and say, well, let, let's, we're, we're going to wait till next year. But I think there was just two, I think what, what this kind of late season exposed is that there are just still so many holes on this roster to be filled, right? Like you, you're not going to spend DP money on a goalkeeper, but you need a goalkeeper of that quality. You're not going to spend DP money on a center back, but you need two center backs of that quality. Um, I don't know if you guys have talked about Jonathan Osorio. I don't know if he's back next year. You're going to need a really good central midfielder, right? So I think it's fair to be talking about expectations already because on one hand, you say, well, you have the most expensive roster in the league. You have two of arguably the two, you know, most talented players in the league. You should be making a playoff run, but maybe your expectations should be tempered because there's still a lot of work to do with this roster. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good balance between both what Mike and I were saying. We're all like right in right in the middle there. Um, but yeah, Josh, let's talk about the book because come on, man, your second book. I know it's a hey, there it is a very big project. And I guess first off, your motivation behind writing the book, like what what led to you picking up the pen or I guess nowadays the the keyboard, the laptop, and deciding to hey, let's do this. Let's write a book about what's going on right now because it is really special. It was a pen, actually, I'll be honest. I um, It was probably, it was in June. Um, it was in June of 2021 uh, after Canada beats Haiti to get into the final round of qualifying. Um, I had a conversation with my editor that I worked on uh, with Come On You Reds and we just said, let's kick around some ideas with the national team. Or, or just with Canadian soccer. And there were a few other ideas that, you know, maybe one day I'd like to pursue, but I'll be honest, I had just finished reading for the billionth time uh, Das Reboot. Um, you know, personally, obviously one of my favorite books about soccer, it's all about, you know, the German national teams renaissance. And I just thought I, I would like to do that for this men's national team, because it looks like this team has a, a chance to qualify for the world cup. So the pen, I mean, I, so I thought about it and the next day it was the summer. Um, I, I took the, the afternoon off and I went to one of my favorite breweries. It was an astoundingly hot day and I had a notebook and a pen and I had two beers in the heat. So I was probably way too, <laughs> way too inebriated. And I, I literally wrote out an outline of, of what I wanted the book to look like. And again, after two beers, I said, Oh yeah, I can do this. And the, 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 the timing was really tight because we wanted to have it out for the World Cup. Um, so I, I kept kind of looking back at that outline throughout the, the, the writing. Like, what were you thinking? Um, but no, the, the, the idea here 
with this book um, was to tell the stories of the people that were as responsible for this whole, this entire men's team's overhaul as much as the results. I think there's a lot of people, um, some behind the scenes, some not, that really helped kind of transform this program. But this men's team in particular, that's something important to remember too, is the women's team is still one of the best on the planet. And I hope someone writes a book about the women's team soon. Um, but the idea here is to kind of tell the chronological story beginning in 1986 with the team's first and only visit to the World Cup to now. What were the changes that had to happen? Who were the people that had to make those changes happen? What were the lows along the way? What were the untold stories along the way? But what were the things that had to happen for the men's national team to become good again? And I, I hope I told the story. I know a lot of people were eager to talk about it and some obviously didn't want to talk about it at all. But look, the this national team, it was interesting to write the book, the majority of the book through that final round of qualifying, where I think we can all agree, like, their ascent was so rapid. Mm -hmm. And so you're writing it with that kind of momentum, right? Yeah, I remember, you know, just doing so much work after that, that window in January, where they picked up all nine points. And it you know, there was a point where as me and my editors were like, well, what happens if they don't make the World Cup? What do we do? So when you're writing with that momentum, it's a real interesting and kind of invigorating experience. So I hope there's some of that kind of momentum evident in the book, because look, I'll be honest, it was a ton of fun to write. And I really hope, you know, people read it so they can maybe figure out what went wrong and how to make sure that doesn't happen again either. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I wonder, as you decide to pick up the pen, uh, as you say, last year in, in the summer, maybe enjoying a fair weather beer on a patio somewhere. It was bench brewing. Shout out Ooh, bench brewing. Bench. Let's go. Um, Beautiful spot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check out Beansville, everybody. Um, on our podcast? Or? Yeah, I'm looking for that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think? Canada's chances realistically were going into that final round as you're picking up the pen. Um, Cause you wrote an article in the athletic recently talking about the shirt deal with Nike in, in Canada and sort of that idea around, you know, the belief of this team maybe making the world cup. So what was in your mind as you're picking up the pen, where do you think this team realistically can go in terms of qualifying? Yeah. Shout out Singh for actually finding a national team shirt. Uh, I don't know how you, I don't know how you actually found one. Um, that's a topic for another day. I honestly thought they were going to get that fourth spot and have to go the, um, the interconfed route. And I kind of thought about that because their, their journey was so long to begin with, right? They started in, that's what people maybe need to remember is they started in the first round. They were playing, you know, the Cayman Islands, bona fide minnows. And then you have to go play that two-game series against Haiti. And without giving too much away, some of the stories that I was able to unearth um, around that, that that game in Haiti were, were some of the better stories that I kind of discovered for the book, little teaser there. Um, so I just thought that their process was going to be so long anyway that, you know, it, at the time it didn't look like they had a better team than Mexico and the United States was getting in. And I liked Costa Rica. I liked them a lot. And I thought there, there's enough quality there that they can steal a few wins and get in fourth and really draw things out. 
and then for me throughout qualifying, there was kind of three stages. Um, there was the win after Panama at home um, early on where I remember, you know, when, when Davies scores his goal and, and, you know, they go down one nil right away. And I remember thinking, okay, they're just going to bunker and try and just eke out one, one, because that's the Canadian way. And then for them to kind of keep their foot on the gas and win four, one, I remember thinking, okay, this team is good. And then once they beat Mexico, obviously, you know, the ice Teca, um, I remember thinking, okay, this team has a, as a chance, they, they could really do this. Like they, this, this team looks like the, you know, they have a chance. And then when they beat the United States in, in Hamilton, beautiful Hamilton, um, I remember legitimately thinking they're going, I was the last one on my staff at the athletic that thought they were going. Like, I think after like match day six, my editors were like, you know, let's look at flights. We're going. And I'm like, I don't, cause he, it's just ingrained in you as a Canadian yeah, yeah. soccer observer. It's <laughs> yeah, not going to yeah, happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. I think we were all on that train. Sure. So I'm like, you know, they were just, they were calling me negative Nancy in staff meetings because I just refused to, to, to believe I really did. Um, but you know, I, I think that that attitude really fueled a lot of the players and, you know, John Herdman has never shied away from the fact that, he would show his players negative media coverage, you know, by people like us that were like, uh, "I don't, we'll, we'll see, right?" And I think a lot of them use that as as fuel. Um, so yeah, my my belief coming in was was fourth, and then throughout those three games, that's kind of when my tune really changed. Uh, Mike, if you don't mind me asking you sort of this really quick question, I know we're going to start talking about um, the upcoming uh, friendlies in camp that the the national team will be embarking on, um, but. I, I, you posted about the book on Twitter today and on the back, you talk about sort of this run that made noise around the world. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. They tell and, me I have to do this often. I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't want to get in the way of my program. No, please shine, shine, shine away. Uh, we've already got the pre-order ready to, uh, ready to go here. Awesome. Um, just wanted to know, you, you know, what in your mind made Canada's qualifying run make so much noise around the world? Cause I remember I was getting, DMs from people from from Europe, from Africa, asking about this team and asking about the players and the, John Herdman and who was he. And for somebody who's been following the national team for as long as I have, this was mind blowing that anybody outside of Canada would even care. Sure. So what what do you think? Was there one or two things that sort of sprinkled in there that made this such a uh, an item that the world really wanted to know about? Well, there was two things. I mean, first of all, just how improbable it was. I mean, right when John Herdman takes over, they were, I think, the eighth or ninth highest ranked team in CONCACAF. And they were, you know, it what, 120th in the world, according to FIFA rankings. Like, again, they're a minnow. So I think as improbable as their turnaround was is, is one. But to me, the bigger one, and I know this is kind of a catch-all term, but it's just how fun they were. Right. They were able to, you know, you look at most of the teams that qualified for the World Cup, not most, like half the teams that qualified for the World Cup, they had to. Right. Like Germany can't have a lot of fun through qualifying because then if they don't qualify, you know, there's uh, th these players have trouble walking down the streets again. Canada doesn't necessarily have that. If Canada doesn't qualify, they don't qualify. But their ability to play without the weight of the world on their shoulders and play, again, I know these are cliche, but play without fear. 
They just looked like they were having fun doing it. And they're an insanely likable team. Alfonso Davies only played half of the qualification games, but he was there on Twitch. Like that's part of the story is Alfonso Davies losing his mind supporting his, these players on Twitch. It's Tejon Buchanan, you know, with his his step over. It's, it's Stefan Estacchio's outrageous confidence. And they can do all this without feeling like if they don't qualify, um, you know, they're all going to lose their jobs. This team is young, fun, fast. And, and when you put all those things together, it turns a lot of heads. We'll see what and, you know, whether or not, them having fun while they're playing will, will lead to a result in Qatar. But throughout qualifying, it was pretty clear they were operating with a level of enjoyment that the United States and Mexico weren't. Um, you could see that on their faces. You could see that in the way they talk about each other. You know, the, the, the brotherhood thing became a cliche, but it's, it's, it's a real thing within this team. Um, so, yeah, I think just that this team was fun, likable, marketable, we can debate how well they've been marketed. Again, maybe a debate for another day. Um, but yeah, the fact that they had so much fun throughout qualifying, I think is a, one big reason that a lot of people said, "What what is happening with this team? Yeah, they were one of the best stories, I think, across Canada and in, in any sport through the last, wow, it's been maybe 16 months now. Sure. It seems yeah. like forever now. Even longer, actually, dating back, if you guys think about it, the run actually started before the pandemic, and yeah. then they kind of reset the groups, and and I think Canada caught a little bit of a break there in that regard. But, yeah, let's look ahead to this window, Josh. Obviously, um, an incredibly important window for Canada uh, for a lot of different reasons. The main one being is that there's not many more opportunities now to get this squad going. And on Friday, they face Qatar, and then next week, next Tuesday, they face Uruguay. What are you look most looking forward to about this upcoming camp? And why is it uh why is it Luca Colyosho? Yeah, he he's up there. And and you're you're right in a lot of ways. Like I I, you know, I think we all have our list of of the squad that you kind of do and redo. I mean, right now I have 22 locks. So yeah. I have four open spots. So for me. This camp will be about um, which of those players can kind of are, can grab a spot. Is Luca Coliosho one of them? Is Joel Waterman one of them? Um, Daniil Henry is a lock for me. I'll just get that out of the way right now. I know. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a lock for me for a few reasons. I don't know if we want to talk about it, but he's a lock because I just I, I went out just before this. I needed to get out of the house, and I had to pick this guy up. The other, the other most important book of the season. And Daniil Henry is on Canada's squad in here. So if you need any indication that it's, it's happening. No, I, look, so that's a big one is, is who's going to grab some of those spots. Um, and I think the lineups that John Herdman rolls out will reveal a lot about that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Luca Coliosho is such a fantastic uh, prospect. He's such an enticing player. Um but do you want to give a spot to a World Cup spot to a player that at that point will have played possibly two times for Canada? Um, In your deepest position, too. Sure, yeah. But if it gets you Luku Koleosho for 2026, do you have to do that? Um, so those kind of players on the outside, I, I think tactically, too, you do want to see, like, especially against Uruguay. Uruguay is going to be the best test that I think Canada 
has probably had, right? I, I think they're a cut above the United States and Mexico. So tactically, do you stick with your your kind of best 3-4-3, three, three, which I think is probably where he's leaning right now? Do you try and surprise things? And can you kind of, as a team, can you rediscover that chemistry that you had? Because the June window, there was some things we learned, but for the most part, kind of a wash. Um, and so it's a long time since this team has really played competitive games. So uh, can you rediscover some of that chemistry? Um, because what you don't want is to, you know, to get waxed against Uruguay and then have all these questions, you know, going into the World Cup. You want to maintain that positive momentum. So tactically, can you rediscover the chemistry and, and who who gets those final few spots? Because to me, we're talking about like Luca Coliosho, Joel Waterman, even Liam Millar to me is not a lock yet. Mike get in, he's not a lock yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, but other than that, it's yeah. what's that? Theo? Corbinow? To me, there are just other attacking players that have been there for longer. For sure. And, and, and I don't think Theo is going anywhere. So he's a player that will probably be in that 2026 squad. Um, so I don't know. He's in great form and he brings some, you know, he brings some verticality, but I, I just think there's other attacking players that I'd probably rather go with, but there's, there's spots. There's it, look, if he starts DL Corbino, then it's, you know, maybe we learn that that his, his uh, John Herdman's tune is a little bit different, but for me, might he's a real guy right on the fringe. I don't know if he gets in though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for Theo, he could be that swap for Liam Miller, depending on how John sees Liam right now, um, you know, in terms of his both his outings with the national team in his current club form, right? And then that would yeah. be, that's that's maybe one of the few spots, like like you just, I think the team is pretty set um, for the most part, aside from so, some of those auxiliary spots. Um, I think the main bulk, we know who they are. And as long as they can stay fit, they're on a plane. They got a plane ticket to Qatar. I, I'm, how fantastic is it that like, you know, we're at a point that we're talking about who's going to be the 24th, 25th and 26th place. Like, three <laughs> years ago. What a time to be alive. Three years ago. What were we talking about? The idea that we could debate these final few spots and have a really serious debate about it. I, I think that shows how quickly things have come in a short amount of time. And it, that's fantastic just for me. Uh, over the weekend when we're watching TFC Orlando, they mentioned Tesha Wakandele, former national team player. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wakandele? I, I just had to like take myself back. And it wasn't even that long ago. It was the World Cup last or Gold Cup last summer where he was called in. Yep. Squad. So. Yeah, in just such a short amount of time, we've come a long way. Um, Josh, last question for you. Does Canada have a shot at making it out of the group stage in Qatar? Do they have a shot? Do they have a shot? Yes. And if you ask the players, I'm sure some of you saw that that tweet I posted of Alistair Johnson and his answer. Uh, I was in Montreal last week talking to some of the national team guys, and they believe it. Right. They believe it. And and there's a few reasons why. I mean, the and, and some of which I agree with the idea that this team can go to the World Cup and genuinely play without fear. We're going to hear that a lot from this team. 
but it's what's on their mind. Um, I think is important and could do a lot of damage, right? The other reason I think that that they could is that the schedule lines up really well in their favor. First game against Belgium, you're probably never going to win that game anyway, but it is a great test to just say, here's the World Cup, guys. Here's what it means to play one of the best teams on the planet. And so you kind of get caught up into everything that the World Cup is very, very quickly. You get that one out of the way. The pressure was never on to begin. Second game against Croatia, talented team, but an aging team. If Herdman is able to rotate his squad and keep in some of his faster players, I really think you can run Croatia into the ground. You have to press, press, press. And if you press that team and wear them out a bit, it wouldn't surprise me that they come away with a 1-1 draw. I, I really think they can run that team in the ground. That sets them up. And again, this is why the, the, the schedule really works out for them. That sets up a must-win game against Morocco. And they were the game that I think everybody has circled as one that was probably the one that you could win. And I like the idea of this team going into an absolute you know, must-win game because Canada has game breakers on their roster that Morocco doesn't. Right. I think there will be at least one game in the, well, let's say at least, I think there will be one game in the group stage that Alfonso Davies will steal. He can, he can do that. If it's Morocco, then we're talking about them getting four points out of three games and that might be enough. Now, you know, I think we've all convinced ourselves because of the way this team plays their run through qualifying that, that anything is possible. Um, perhaps a, maybe more realistic is a loss and then two draws. Um, even then, that I think that's pretty respectable in your first World Cup in 36 years. But yeah, if you set up for a must-win game against Morocco and Alfonso Davies is is fit and has a game, what I, I don't know what's 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 getting, <laughs> in, what's getting in the way. I like it. Don't give me hope, man. Don't give me hope. Yeah, it's the, the most telling comment from Perman's. Uh, Presso the other day was he was going through Croatia's midfield and he called it a really sobering process. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess so in, in that light. But I'm I'm with you guys. Like, there is. You know what we have to remember here too is is for a lot of these guys on the, this World Cup squad, and I'm talking about guys that are going to be in the starting eleven, and I'm talking about Kamal Miller, Alistair Johnson, Richie Larea. Um, Sam Atakube, just for example, even Stefan Estacchio, maybe you could put in this. They're going to the World Cup with the hopes of a team in Europe saying, whoa, how do I get this player? And I'm not saying it's the sole motivating factor, but I am saying that these players are fully aware that the shop window for them has never been more wide open. And they know that this is an opportunity that comes along once in a lifetime to prove who you are as a player. Because if Alistair Johnston has a great rip at the World Cup, uh, are, are teams in the top four leagues not calling about him because they can get him at a you know at a pretty lower clip? So that is inherently motivating for players too. There's all kinds of reasons that players show up for their national team, but the idea that you put in two good performances and you're getting calls from teams that never would have called you otherwise. Believe me when I say players are aware of that, they're thinking about that. And I don't see, and, and the, I, I think some of those players that I mentioned are mentally strong enough that they won't crumble under that pressure, but they'll kind of rise to it. Right. I'll throw 
Jonathan Osorio into that mix? Because I think that's probably the biggest reason he's not signed yet with Toronto FC. Jonathan Osorio is playing for his chance to play in Europe. Exactly. There's no, I don't think there's any debate about that. And yeah. I am, I am as big a Jonathan Osorio guy as, as is out there. Yeah, and I'll throw Tejon Buchanan into that mix because I think he has all the tools to take that next step. And yeah, even a Jonathan David, like we've seen what ha- happened to a James Rodriguez. I know David's already linked to teams that, that are of that stature, but a performance at the World Cup and he turns into a guy who's forty million to a guy who's sure perhaps seventy million. So there's so many different reasons to be motivated about this squad. And man, I appreciate you coming on here because I'm so hyped about this team now and, and appreciate the conversation, Josh, and make sure you guys, I dropped the link in the chat, but if you haven't known that uh, it drops October 4th, correct? October 4th, one last time, pre-orders available. Um, we're going to do a launch. I, we're going to announce this soon, but we are doing a launch in Toronto and Hamilton the first week of October. Uh, stay tuned for info about that, especially for the forge fans out there. I think you'll want to take part in that one in Hamilton. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This has been awesome. Awesome, Josh. Thanks so much for coming on. Cheers. Anytime, Josh. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Yeah, as always. Have it. Great, great stuff from Josh. Uh, yeah, stay tuned for that info on on the, the release dates and the, the launch parties. I know I'm going to be at attending the one in Toronto. Um, so that'll be really exciting. And yeah, this, this men's national team, Mike, massive window coming up come on yeah absolutely i'll probably be the one here in hamilton um yeah it's i mean how can you not be excited it's crazy you know obviously as tfc fans we're kind of in the dumps in regards to the club and how they've been but there's sort of a bright spot because all of us are national team fans um in a lot of ways and it's crazy to say that world cup is only a couple months away um it feel it, it it felt like a million years away even when they qualified in march and yet we're now realistically talking about rosters and how they're going to shape up. And there's a last window to watch these guys play games and, and see, you know, what team are we taking to, to Qatar? Like I said, I think the bulk of the squad is decided like the bulk of the squad, as long as they're fit and they're healthy, they're going, but those last four spots, five, maybe if you can, if you include Daniil, as sort of a, a player that might be on the on the swing, we you know we talked about that last week. That's going to be an interesting little battle there to see who takes sort of those auxiliary spots on the team. Yeah, I think that's that's what Josh said. Like that's such a such something to look forward to uh, this upcoming window. As I mentioned, there's I think we have one more friendly after this, and that's like right before uh, the World Cup. So yeah, there's a. Is a lot riding, I think, on this window in terms of them being able to get everything in order and for them to figure out a lot of stuff because a lot has changed from this team from where we last saw it. A lot of new faces now making a push mm-hmm. to potentially crack the, the roster. So really looking forward to, to that game on Friday. It'll be a good test against Qatar. And then especially next Tuesday against Uruguay, that'll be that'll be an even better test. Yeah. Uh, obviously Uruguay is going to be the big test. It's the big, it's the big sort of South American power that we've known in the world cups for years. They're an aging squad as well. Um, I'll put that out there. Um, I'm interested to see how Canada does against Qatar. And, and the reason being, although that's not the a one level opponent um, that a lot of, you know, 
national team fans had hoped Canada would line a friendly up against maybe earlier in the window, especially in that June window. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they do against them because Qatar has stacked their team, um, to, to say the least. I'll put it that way. Um, and it will be interesting to see how they take that challenge on because I feel like that's a good way to judge maybe the, the Morocco game, but maybe even a little bit the Croatia game, just in terms of, again, a team that is going to be a little bit of an unknown um, and a little bit of a, I mean, they did pretty well in the Gold Cup the last time they were here. I mean, you read some of those players that played in that Gold Cup are, are going to be uh, on that squad. Yeah, I believe I believe they made the quarterfinals. Uh, they did, yeah, in in the Gold Cup in twenty twenty one. Maybe the semis actually. Did they not make the semis? Uh, I, I can tell I you. I think they made the. Head, I think they made the semis. Yeah, I'm not sure how much that team has changed from where it was to where it is now. Um, but still, it's it's, a, it's an opponent that's outside the Concacaf region. Something Canada hasn't dealt with since I think early 2018. Mm-hmm. So, and even then, that didn't go well. So it's a, it's a chance for them to really measure themselves against a non-CONCACAF side. And that's why the, the game against Uruguay is just even more important because Uruguay is one of the top teams in the world, the, the top 10 team in the world, and especially when you have guys like like Darwin Nunez, who's up and coming for Liverpool. How is, okay, we know you can handle Raul Jimenez. We know you can handle a Ricardo Pepe. How are you going to handle a Darwin Nunez? I think that's going to be a big test for, yeah. for Canada's back line. So, yeah, it's, again, uh, there's with TFC fans. I know we're, we t- talk TFC primarily. I know right now it's a depressing time to talk about TFC, but just I get I get excited at, when at this time of the year for Canada at least because there's a uh, there's a lot to look forward to. And as Mike said, I looked at the calendar. Two months away. The World Cup is two months yeah, I know. away. That is and, wild. Yeah, and I, I I can't wait. I can't wait. No, can't wait either. Um, that said, we do have to go back to TFC. You go from that high, and then you have to come back and talk about TFC. It's like Jonathan Osorio coming back from national team duty. Um, we do have the burning questions to close out this week's show. Oh, before um, we get to that, can we, oh, can yeah. we talk a little bit of a Montreal? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Oh yes, right. You you had a you had a bit of a take on the parlay um, about Montreal. Um, they have clinched their playoff spot. I mentioned. Yeah, they have clinched their playoff spot and. And Patrice Bernier kind of clapped back a little bit at, at you, which was uh, which was fun to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I'll let you t- I'll let you explain the, the the points there because, like, I I think you made some actually interesting points about sort of where this squad goes from here. But I'll let you sort of defend defend from the pulpit. No, I'll, I'll reiterate my point. I'm going to double down here. <laughs> They're a good team. They're a deep team. And what Wilfred Nancy has done to get the most out of that group is it's incredible. He deserves MLS Coach of the Year vote. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Um, It'll go to Jim Curtin, but I, I think it should be him. Well, probably deservedly, too, because Jim Curtin, what he's done with Philadelphia is pretty outstanding. So yeah. two very worthy candidates there for MLS Coach of the Year. But they're not a great team. I'll, I'll say it again. They're not a really great team. And the reason being, my main point is well two one i don't think the eastern conference is that good this year when you don't have teams like toronto new england atlanta columbus 
Cincinnati's in a freaking playoff spot, but when you don't have the four teams that are typically perennial contenders, at least the last couple of years, that are there challenging for some of the top four spots in the Eastern Conference, it's it's an easier path forward. I, I, I think let's call a spade a spade there. The East is not as good as it, as it was historically. And credit to Montreal, who is a good team. They've taken advantage of that, and that's why they're in the position they are right now. But the I still have questions about Montreal in terms of have they really been tested and challenged this year? So let me let me drop a couple of stats here. So against top four teams in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, teams that are currently top four right now, Montreal has faced them eight times this season. Their record against top four teams. One win, two draws, five losses. So that's five out of a possible 24 points when facing a top four team in either conference. Since June the 1st, it's September 19th today. So we're talking almost, what, June, July, August. Talking almost four months. Four months, yeah. Right? Since June the 1st, Montreal has only faced five playoff teams. Five. Since June the 1st, and their record against those teams, zero wins, two draws, three losses. They have two out of a possible 15 points against teams that are in a playoff spot since June 1st. Well, oh yeah, that's right. No, Seattle wasn't in the playoffs, but maybe. So they haven't really been tested down the stretch here. Now, there is something to the fact that, okay, even though you're not facing playoff teams, you're still picking up points. You're finding ways to get wins. And I, hats up. Like, they are a very, they're good. They're a good team for doing that. They have depth. They're well coached. And I think that the camaraderie that Wilfred Nancy's been able to create has really gotten the best out of his team. I don't believe that they're an elite team in Major League Soccer. Um, could they go on a run this year because the Eastern Conference is wide open? Yeah. I'm not saying they can't. I just think looking at the team individually in other years, I'm not sure how they would stack up. And if they and, had it, and you do make some interesting points there. And, and and I think that like there's one you're like you're getting a renaissance kind of late summer performance out of Kai Kamara, right? He might be close to double digit goals. No one expected that from him when they signed him. Romel Kyoto is having an all-world year. Like, he's having an all-world year. Victor uh, Wanyama was left exposed at the expansion draft. Yeah. They didn't want to keep him. Yeah. And, and yet, so nobody could take his salary. One, yeah, and they turned into one of the – he's turned back into one of their most important right. players. So there's get, been some things that have gone their way. Yeah, right. You take a gamble on Georgi Mihailovic, right? He turns out to be, at least until he got hurt, an MVP candidate, right? Now right. he's leaving. for that. Yeah, for sure. Right. Alistair Johnson's Kamal Miller is Joel exactly. Waterman. And by next year, you could lose a couple of those players, right? Al, Alistair Johnston and, and Kamal Miller, like Josh said, they go off and have a great World Cup. Some team in Europe could be knocking on the door in January for their signatures. Sure. Joel Waterman may go to a World Cup. He might end up getting a call, right? You're already George, losing. George is gone. George yeah, is George already is out gone. the door. Kona is pretty much gone. Yeah, Kona is going to be gone. So, th- so from that perspective, I get what you're saying, right? Like they have taken advantage of a great opportunity here. 
I will also still counter that to get to this opportunity, they have built wealth to get to this point. I do, I do, right. I do think that this might be the, the kind of end game for it though. Right. Like you kind of have to. Their window is not that big, right? No, no, that is true. Now there, there are, there is talent coming out of their academy, which will be interesting to see how they integrate that because Wilfred Nancy is essentially embedded into that academy and knows those players better than anybody. So that I think is going to be the challenge for them going forward is can he, can he and Olivier Renard find players to replace the ones that are leaving for sure. And the ones who more than likely will be on their way out of Montreal to greener pastures in January. Yeah. And perhaps maybe they will be They're in a, they have good, people in place it seems like they're finally in a good spot they finally have an identity and they know what they're looking for and credit to them especially the way that they've managed to create this roster finding guys who are a little bit underappreciated like a kamal miller and an alistair johnson the georgie mahalovich i think those moves in particular are what has sort of made up the foundation of what this montreal team is um and i think they've taken full advantage of that so credit to them but i again my whole point is I don't think they're an elite team in Major League Soccer. And again, for the stats that I threw out there, I just don't think they've been tested. So I think come playoff time when they face better teams, we'll see. And I think it happens. It's a one-game thing, but the results haven't been there uh, throughout this this course of the season for me to believe that this team has taken that next step into becoming an elite team in Major League Soccer. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they can hang on to uh the two seed uh in the conference and get that home playoff game um because that will be that'll be interesting because they could possibly take on cincinnati they might take on who's seventh right now or or, sorry sixth right now because they play they play six 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 is cincinnati seventh is miami miami yeah so you know um i think they'll make it past the first round Mm -hmm. i don't know if they get past the the eastern conference semifinals that's fair. I think even the first round would be challenging because right now both Cincinnati and Miami are on heaters right now. Um, and Gonzalo Higuain has turned the, back the, the clock. The, 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 yeah, he's, he's one my clock. He had a 94th minute winner the other night. Um, okay, let's uh, let's wrap up the show with the burning questions and we'll get everybody, the good TFC live folks on their way. Um, all right, this comes in from Noel. What does TFC need to do early in this offseason to get belief back? that we might uh, have the right coach and the right leadership at the club. I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, for me, I think, for me, I think it's, it's really that first move to address what I think is, is the key. I think they need to address some depth. If they can go out and get some MLS quality guys before the DP situation Yes, Bill, Bob is going to have a hand in that, but really that's Bill for the most part. Um, you know, if you start, if I start seeing some solid MLS guys coming in and, okay, I see that depth piece, I see how that fits in, then I'm, then I'm a little calmer. That's just me personally. How about you, Mike? I think, the, I think there's already going to be excitement. Um, there's still moves that they're going to be making this offseason, but I think right now it's obviously a little bit depressing what TFC are going through, but 
you take a step back and you think about the opportunity of heading into a full year now with with Toronto FC with Lorenzo Insigne and Bernadeschi here you have a Mark Anthony K here you have pieces now obviously Mimo that uh you you can we're in a way better place this year than we were last year a hundred thousand million percent that right? is true um so I think the one thing maybe the one move that will reinstill this fan base is saying goodbye to your two goalkeepers and bringing in a quality goalkeeper. I think that'll <laughs> that'll help get guys and get fans back on back on track here. Fair enough, especially for Noel, because he hates Alex Bono. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I'm going to combine these two questions kind of into a question and a follow-up um, oh. because this is interesting. So uh, as we mentioned off the top of the show, and we don't talk about TFC2 a lot on the show, which we did a little bit more, we should. Love it um they qualified for the playoffs in for the first time ever in whatever league they've played in and they played in a couple of different leagues but they have made the mls next pro playoffs um they're playing i believe next saturday at this home saturday. it's a home game yeah yeah the at, 24th yeah at uh york lions stadium at bmo uh, field oh it's gonna be a bmo okay I thought it was gonna be BMO field. oh nice awesome um so never mind it's at bmo field so easy enough for you to get down uh to the match um but they've played really well kobe franklin scored an absolute banger one to uh, watch to essentially yeah you you gotta watch it if you haven't it's on this it's on tfc2's socials i actually just met kobe himself oh yeah yeah, yeah. player to really keep your eye on if you're a toronto fc fan yeah absolutely absolutely um but here's a question from tfcnu uh so the question is who would you start in uh, at the nine position in next week's big playoff match for TFC2? Uh, Hugo Mbong, who has just signed for the first team, uh, Jordan Peruzza, or Rashawn Walks, who has had a monster season uh, for TFC2, the draft pick, uh, the, yeah. the draft pick of this past uh, second round, I believe, or third round draft pick? Um, yeah, sec- second or third. Yeah, second, second round pick. Uh, but he had a mo- he's had a monster year for, for TFC2. So who would you start at the number nine position? Um, for me, what they've been doing is starting both Perusa and Hugo Mbonga. Um, I think that's probably the way I'd lean, just the fact that they've been doing it. That being said, Rashawn Walks, uh, I watched when I watched him in preseason, you could tell this guy's very direct. He produces, he's quick, um, good skill, and he makes, he makes a difference, right? He, uh, I believe he's played maybe maybe 600 minutes this year and he already has he has close to the amount of goals that uh Hugo Mbange has this year um he's produced in very limited time and that being said I still think he is a weapon off the bench so maybe bring him in a little bit earlier so I'll still start perusing Mbange and uh bring walks off the bench but walks is a great shout I'm happy you brought that up that's a really good question yeah, um, I probably would be agreeing with you. Don't broke what isn't, you know, don't fix what isn't broken. Um, in that case, in that case, go ahead with Perusa and and Mong. Though that said, um, you know, TFC do have a match next week. I wonder if one ends up with the team on the road. Um, that might be a they're possibility. In, they're in international break, though. Oh, that's right. It is international break. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, yeah. That that's my that's me uh, forgetting the schedule. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you keep both uh, and and walks off the bench. A lot of pace. When I saw him um, last month, I think he scored a brace um, off the bench. Um, it was fantastic um, against 
uh, against Orlando City B, who they just beat on the weekend. Um, so here's the follow-up-ish question uh, to this. And I've paraphrased this a little bit because a few people have asked this, but I'm going to attribute this to uh, to Edward. Um, why does TFC struggle at transitioning youth into the first team? So we see these young players succeed at TFC2. I know the team, sometimes TFC2 does not succeed in terms of points. That's not fully the point. Um, but they have some struggles when they try to get into the first team. Um, what do you think that is? Uh, Michael, in terms of you know why do they struggle? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I think the biggest thing is the opportunity uh, to implement themselves in an environment that's a winning environment, yet still hold space for for young players to come through and, and really make their mark. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing for me uh, when it comes to TFC, because obviously, as we know, TFC don't typically operate that way they try to put out winning side year after year and a lot of that it means veterans right so there's so many cases where we see guys like i don't know like a mark anthony k who gets cut from tfc's academy and then goes on to flourish you have local gta products like alistair johnson and tajan buchanan who go on to excel and it looks like missed opportunities by tfc but the reality is it is, but it's also the opportunity just isn't there at Toronto FC uh, for these guys to, to properly develop. So, you know, in order to really succeed as a as a TFC homegrown player, you have to have patience. And nowadays, when your career is on the line, that's really tough to ask a young player to do and to be patient. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is that there just isn't the opportunity here in Toronto just based on the the philosophy of the club. And that's of course, building a, a competitor year in year out. Yeah. Look, and we've talked about this several times. We even talked about it in this show, right? That the, the mentality of this club is to, to try to compete for everything and win everything. And to do that, the thought is you need senior experienced players at, at this level. I mean, look the discourse just this year between sort of the first half of this year and the second half of this year. You know, we, we, we did bring in, you know, at one point we were starting the most academy kids out of at least the Canadian sides, right? We were starting sure. at times six, seven. We still do, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah six, seven. Eight. Well, I, I mean, at times at the earlier part of the season, we were starting six, seven academy kids in the 11, um, not just in the 18, right? So, like, from that perspective, there was – there was an opportunity. There was also just a straight, we need you to play. We need you to fill out these minutes until these senior guys show up. Right. So I think that's always going to be a struggle for a, for a Toronto FC youth player who decides to try to crack the first team here is that you're not going to give, be given a ton of time when you get minutes. And when you get those minutes, they got to be kind of eye catching. And, and that's a, that's, I know that's sometimes a frustrating thing from a fans or for a hardcore fan to, to accept because we want to see young prospects come through the academy and make their way to the first team and be successful, be a successful part of this club. But that's just the reality of things. This team will always spend um, and spend in positions generally where young players might be able to come up and make an impact. And that's not a Toronto FC problem. That's... They look around the world at the biggest clubs in the world, which 
Toronto FC, they want to be the biggest club in Major League Soccer. That's how they are historically. Kids come off the bench for like the last couple of minutes of matches, right? They don't typically come off the bench or they don't typically start game in, game out. Like I think what we've been accustomed to seeing through the first part of this year. They're also inserted into a squad that's surrounded of veterans. They're not thrown into the deep end and seeing if you could you could sink or swim, right? It's it's about, to a sense, like nurturing these kids through and, and really helping their development. Um, it's, it's a delicate, delicate balancing act, in my opinion, and uh, TFC have always swayed to the side of, of, of veterans and MLS-ready players. Do you ever, do you, just really quick before we end the show, do you ever think that Toronto FC will look at maybe the the ledger book one day and say like, hey, you know, we could make some decent money getting some guys real minutes and selling them off. I know they're kind of there, but they're not really there right now. One day uh, there will be transactions like that, but that's, I think, more so player coming from a player's perspective. I think the club's philosophy is that instead of selling these players, we want to keep these players and we want them to be as important as you'd be for a European side, for our side. Bill Manning told me one of the quotes he told me when we sat down earlier this year was he can't wait for that, for the day where you can convert an Academy player, a homegrown player into a designated player in major league soccer. He can't wait for that day. Um, that's what they would love to do. I think that's, you know, when you look at a guy like Jaquil Marshall Ruddy, TFC, they're, would they sell him? Yes. Are they eager to sell him? Absolutely not. They would rather hold on to Jaquil Marshall Ruddy and have him produce for Toronto FC and be a really effective player for Toronto FC as opposed to letting him go overseas so that's that's like a perfect example of of kind of where i think the club's at in that philosophy they don't need the incoming salary dollars and that tfc and when you look at mlsc in the grand scheme of things tfc are not necessarily like a, a huge transfer is it going to make or break mlsc they're not they're not doing a dallas here put it that way exactly Fair enough. And that's how we're going to end the show. <laughs> um, no, but, it, you know, I, I think to wrap it up, look, TSC fans, it's 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 a hard time right now, um, for sure. Uh, it's not fun having Montreal fans troll you online. Um, but we got to we got to take that lump. Just remember that star still on the top of the badge. And in 2023 is looking like brighter days. And don't worry, because in two months we're going to be in the World Cup. And that is that is hella exciting. Um, so uh, we will be back next week, same time, same channel. Uh, hopefully, uh, Jeff, um, if you're if you're listening, watching, hey buddy, um, get through those editing wars, and we, have, we hope to have you back uh, next week. Uh, the Tunnel Club, we did take a break this uh, weekend because I was just not up for it, um, but uh, we will be back. Um, after the international break, actually, we'll probably do at least one of the national team games. Uh, we'll we'll do a ton of for after the national team game. Those are always fun uh, to do uh, with fans. So we'll do something like that. Um, if you're listening on podcast version, if you're on YouTube, if you're watching on uh, Twitter, thank you so much. Like, rate, review, subscribe. 
if you happen to Toronto till I die, it's always a big help. On behalf of Mike Singh, I'm Mike Newell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace. And go by Joshua Cloak. And go by and go by, yeah, the Voyagers, please. Peace. And wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die.